This is Republic of INSEAD, the 20 years later O3D podcast edition. I am Milena Ivanova and will be your host in this limited series. So, here we are, 20 years later, hopefully all the wiser, naturally smarter and as charming as ever. There were 432 of us in the O3D vintage. And certainly, there are 432 unique and very interesting personal and professional stories to tell. While I cannot physically cover all, I have tried to make a selection of stories that will keep you interested and curious and will hopefully convince you to join us on campus for reunion. Welcome to the Republic of INSEAD podcast edition and enjoy the show. Alrighty, here we are. Good morning, good afternoon, greetings to all spread across the globe. It's been a rainy spring and so today is another rainy day here in Sofia, Bulgaria. But who cares about the rain when I'm having so much fun talking to so many INSEAD friends spread all over the world. I didn't quite realize how much fun this was going to be actually until I started reconnecting and chatting with people near and far in the last few weeks. So energizing, inspiring, a kick in the behind if I ever needed one. My guest today is one that knows a thing or two about fun, but let's start with the Republic of INSEAD O3D entry for him from 20 years ago. Opening quotations. In life, there are those who stand out as giants among men, larger than life, charisma oozing out of their pores and drenching the rest of us in ambrosial bliss. For us... <laughs> He was one of these people. Going out in Paris with him was like walking on water. All of a sudden, we were the coolest hipsters that La Maison Blanche had ever seen. Not being turned away at the velvet rope because we happened to be wearing dockers. We were whisked into the VIP lounge. Heads turned, drinks appeared, beauties hovered, and we basked in the reflected glory of the light that was him. Whatever joy we may know in the life post him, surely it will be only a faint echo of the resounding bliss that we were privileged to know as friends. Well, there you go. Before I introduce him, let me tell you, I had a story of my own, not with him, and probably that was the problem. We went, a bunch of friends from INSEAD, in front of Annabelle's in London, but we were definitely with the wrong person because they didn't let us in. We were wearing jeans. <laughs> the biggest sin of private clubs in London, so shame, shame. Anyhow, welcome to you. And first off, tell me, where do I find you today? Oh, I'm still stuck in Paris. What can I say? <laughs> All right, there you go, Paris. Uh, but is it just Paris or the world is now your oyster? I, well, I guess that's what inside graduates are about, you know. Uh, but yeah, I'm Paris, Paris is home and... Uh, then I guess uh, the rest of the world as well. But yeah, mm. I, I, I stopped going to nightclubs. Well, but, uh, uh, oh. All right. Well, oh, no, not, not entirely. That's not true, actually. But, uh, All right. Well, on a more serious note, let's start by, I let you speak. Give us the last 20 years of your life in a nutshell, the five minutes, you know, of the last 20 All right. Well, you know, I graduated, graduated from INSEAD, and uh, then, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't stop enjoying life uh, because I graduated from INSEAD, and I went to work at L'Oreal and Fine Fragrances Marketing, because I, I, at the time, I, I thought that Fine Fragrances was the ultimate marketing experience. I wanted to learn that. 
Um, spent three and a half years there, and then I probably had a little bit of a delayed teenage crisis, and uh, threw my career out the window and decided to go into nightlife, because indeed that what was what I was enjoying the most, you know. Uh, and actually, the guy sitting next to me in my office at L'Oreal uh, had left L'Oreal to pursue his uh, passion in photography. So I was like, well, you know. I like a good party, and I was a flatmate with a party promoter, and it was like, okay, let's uh, let's do something together, and um, and we launched a pretty successful nightlife operation in Paris in Bois de Boulogne, in a place called Bagatelle. So that, that was a lot of fun, and uh, I did that for eight years. But of course, you know, uh, when, when you when you know a little bit about marketing, uh, and uh, and uh, and you have an inside background, of course. Uh, you don't stop with one party. So, uh, you know, we went from Begatelle, which was Paris' first and biggest outdoor nightlife operation, to doing a big one next to the Sons Elysees uh, with 1,500 people capacity every Friday, Saturday, a couple of restaurants, a bar, uh, an events agency, a magazine, you know. So uh, in my 30s, I was kind of my Parisian nightlife kingpin and I had a, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Um, I wasn't as reasonable as I should have, you know, like uh, money came and, and went even faster. But, uh, you know, uh, I definitely checked a lot of marks in the, uh, in the bucket list. And so uh, I, I enjoyed myself greatly. Uh, and then, uh, well, I, I met uh, the love of my life, the mother of my children, Maria, uh, and we got married in th- when I was 37. So. And then I decided maybe it was time to get a grip uh, and do something more serious with my life. Um, so I tried to dabble a little bit in startups. Uh, I tried to do one called Bonjour Bonjour, which was supposed to be a French WeChat. Never really worked. But then we did one called Ma Beauté, which was a, uh Airbnb for a home beauty uh, that we sold to to Rocket Internet. And at the time, our friend Spiris Corsonis was working there and nicely signed a check uh, for the few shares that I had left. No, we didn't sign. No, no, no. And then um, I went uh, on to uh, found a co-working uh, company called The Bureau, which was Paris' first uh, high-end co-working space. Um, today it's uh, 12,000 square meters in Paris CBD, 13 million turnover, uh, EBITDA positive, and nice company. Um but uh, right before COVID, I had a fallout with my investor. And so I, I left the presidents of the company and not operationally involved anymore um, and needed to figure out what to do next. Um, and I figured that with the events and the co-working, basically, I'm the son of an architect. I love good design. I love hanging out with people. I, 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 I love creating things. I love creating things that last. And so I was like, well, probably I should go into the hospitality industry um, and the hotel industry more particularly because there's an underlying real estate element that makes it easier to finance than uh, some kind of um, strange startup. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I figured I probably had a CV that I could sell to investors. And uh, lo and behold, I managed to find a hotel in Italy that I bought last year. And uh, uh, so I am about to develop uh, the most beautiful hotel of the Italian Riviera, the Gran Hotel Miramare di Castiglioncello, uh, 70 rooms, Rolet Chateau, that I hope will open uh, next spring. Maybe everything goes well, but uh, construction is definitely not an exact science, so uh, you never know. Um, 
but it looks good. I managed to to raise money to buy the property and finance the beginning of the works. I'm in, uh, in the midst of, of closing a second round of financing to finish the works. Uh, of course, in the macro environment right now, it's not easy, but we'll get there. Um, so I'm having fun with that. In the meantime, uh, I've managed to uh, have two children with my wife. So I have uh, Magnus and Balder, uh, who are six and four, uh, growing up to be healthy, amazing boys with whom I have a lot of fun because immediately three, four days a week and the rest of the time in Paris. And I enjoy taking time off to, to spend time with them. And uh, Paris is a great place. We just invented a new game uh, or we just downloaded a new app called Space Invader. And in Paris, there's 1,500 Space Invaders, which is like a, a graffiti mosaic all over the walls in Paris. And so we go hunting for Space Invaders all over Paris. And it's a great way to rediscover the city with my kids. I just did that yesterday afternoon. I have a lot of fun doing that. So, you know, um, I, I enjoy uh, having fun and I, I try to organize my life uh, to be able to have that. That's the last 20 years in, in a nutshell. All right. So what would you say has been the biggest challenge of those 20 years for you? Uh, professionally, uh, well, personally, it was uh, uh, finding a wife who was ready to put up with me. Uh, but I, I managed to find her and uh, we've been married for over 10 years now. So I can, that, that, that was a challenge and I'm, I'm very happy I managed to overcome that or she overcame that. Let's put it like that. Uh, and then, uh, well, professionally, when you're an entrepreneur, uh, and you're not successful with your first shot and uh, you're a little bit of an airhead as I might be, uh, you know, uh, bouncing back from uh, failure is probably the most difficult. Um, reinventing yourself permanently, permanently is pretty difficult and it is challenging, but it's a challenge that I enjoy actually. And I think, you know, I was a consultant uh, before going to INSAD and, and you learn to, to work on all sorts of different issues. And, and I think uh, the consulting years have definitely taught me how to, to bounce back. And also, yeah, you know, the, the, the resilience uh, you get from an INSAD education as well, I guess. Do you have any secret to the source? <laughs> secret to, to do what? In terms of, of how you bounce back. Oh, well, you know, you have to be a, a little bit full of yourself and believe that uh, you, you, you're, you're made for, for, for being a successful entrepreneur and that, uh, you know, if you failed before, it's not your fault and uh, you can, uh, you've learned from that and uh, uh, that uh, you have to try again. You know, it's, it's like a boxer who gets hit in the face. I mean, you don't, you don't just, uh, you, 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 you bounce back, you know, uh, and, and, and if you believe in yourself and, and you believe that the world is full of opportunities and, and that actually it's, it's the journey more than the goal that matters and then you just do it. You, I, I was looking at your LinkedIn and you actually are teaching as well. I stopped teaching because I, I don't have time anymore. All right. But I did it for eight years. So All it was right. a lot of fun. All right. And you were teaching entrepreneurship. So exactly. So yeah. a bunch of people know it from you. <laughs> Get up well, you know, I was, I was not, I was actually, I was not teaching per se. Basically, I mean, it was a, it was a module for eight years at Seal School, which is my alma mater here in Paris. I, uh, every class, I'd invite an entrepreneur that I knew uh, from all sports of life, I mean, from finance to cosmetics uh, to uh, hotels, etc., uh, startups, and who would uh, talk about their entrepreneurial uh, uh, journey. That was one hour, and then we spent one hour with the with the students, trying to understand who that entrepreneur was. 
the psychology of entrepreneurship, uh, key success factors, uh, why they might, you know, uh, the, the key to their success uh, as a result of their uh, personal or the personality or, 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 or history or personal history, et cetera. So that, I did, thought it was very interesting, but I mean, I wasn't teaching per se. I was just inviting people to talk about themselves and then I was facilitating a discussion. All right. So. What's one trait that uh, if, if one has it, they should not be an entrepreneur? If they're risk averse, it's difficult okay. to be an entrepreneur. Mm. All right. <laughs> so hospitality, Let's talk hospitality, and you did mention why you went uh, or why it's maybe easier with the underlying real estate to at least start the financing part. But what, wh- how are you thinking about this hotel? You described it to us in the WhatsApp group, the the one that's coming up next year, and it sounded like very. Mm, there is a story to tell there, right, with the church or when I forget what else. But uh, how do you find the place? How did you decide to go? So, well, so, so basically, when I decided, okay, I'm going to be a hotelier, you know, I told myself, you know, I'm going to be a hotelier. Okay, so how do I become a hotelier? Well, no uh, hotel owner in the right mind will ask me to run their hotel. So I guess I need to be a hotel owner myself. Uh, and so, okay, uh, it's COVID. I guess when after COVID, there's going to be a lot of opportunities. So uh, let me start and call call brokers and see if there are any hotels for sale. But, you know, problem is they ask for proof of funds and you know the, the, the money needed to buy a, a proper hotel. You know, I, I didn't have that line around on my bank account. So you fake it till you make it. Uh, and uh, you call brokers that you, you tell brokers you're, you're working with a group of family offices who are keen to get into the space blah, 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 blah. and then you know I had a, I had a checklist of, of, of assets of what an asset should look like you know location 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 architectural interest uh, straightforward storytelling etc et and I think I probably visited I, I sifted through 200 PDF files and visited 50 assets uh, so, you know, it Only me... Italy or France as well? Or... No, I, I started with France, but the, in France, uh, post-COVID, there was a lot of programs to actually help entrepreneurs get through. So uh, even companies that should have gone bankrupt uh, survived thanks to state guarantee loans. And so I extended the scope to the rest of Europe. Uh, and uh, in, in Italy, in fact, it hadn't been the case. And now they're finally getting their act together. But uh, during COVID, um, you know, there was a lot of people who actually had to to chip in and to, to, to help their operation survive. And I was fortunate to come across this opportunity. There was a family-owned hotels with 10 cousins who weren't exactly on the best terms. Uh, they were happy to take some dividends every year, but when they suddenly had to chip in, uh, they decided to sell. There was one uh, one uh, family member who, was, who didn't want to sell, so I had to go see that family member uh, and, and, and charm away and, and reassure her that... Uh, I was going to uh, honor the legacy of a grandfather, and that my project for the hotel was to make it uh, the Italian Riviera's most beautiful hotel. She bought into that vision, and uh, you know, so ten cousins to uh, convince, uh, finance saying that had to be put together, which had been put together, and then uh, Vladimir Putin got the great idea to invade Ukraine, and then suddenly the uh, the financing fell apart. So I had to go and find other sources of financing. And 
then at that point, the Italian government started putting together state-backed loans for for uh, initiatives in, in tourism. So I had uh, I had the chance to uh, uh, tap into to that kind of opportunity, and then I. I found some uh, friends and family equity, plus a little bit of crowdfunding mezzanine, and managed to structure the, the finance to to buy the properties and, and and finance the initial works. So, but yeah, it was a it probably from from discovering the asset to finalizing the transaction. It probably took me eight months, I think. Well, still pretty good. I uh, 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 yeah, such well, a yeah. roundabout deal. Yeah, yeah, but, uh, so, but, uh, but now I'm, I'm very happy. I mean, it's, it's a historical hotel in Italy. And, uh, everybody from Pirandello to uh, Toscanini to Mastroianni to Visconti to Rossellini, even Churchill stayed there. Uh, it's uh, on a beautiful little bay in Tuscany. The water is crystal clear. Uh, you can see Corsica, Elba, uh, it's half an hour from Pisa Airport. It's very easily accessible. There's even a cute little train station, so you can come directly by train from Florence or Rome. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's a pretty amazing place. And, uh, you know, I thought I was going to buy it and, and hire somebody to develop it for me, but the, I started to enjoy it so much that I go now two, three days a week. And you're working with local architects and designers? Or? So, yeah, I mean, interior design, of course, is, is a very strong element of the USP. Um, so I, I did, uh, uh, I, I asked a friend of mine who has a company where they manufacture uh, bespoke furniture by architects. And so I was like, listen, who's, a, who's an up-and-coming uh, Italian or French-Italian designer? And so. Uh, he introduced me to three, uh, plus I, I met another one. I did a little, little RFP and found a, a young guy who was, was pretty cool, Joris Pagioli. He's uh, early 30s. Uh, he's uh, one of Architectural Digest's uh, 100 designers to follow. Uh, he also just signed as art director for Restoration Hardware, which is a big uh, furniture chain in America. So he's doing all he's doing all the art direction and, and the design, like and then all the graphic design, the art direction. I, I, I work with an old friend called Jorga Tuplas, who redesigned the AMS logo, but who's also the art director of Vanity for France, and who's, who's, who's a great guy who's also done the Hotel de Clio and a lot of hospitality ventures in Paris. A great graphic designer and art, art director. And then I worked with an architect from Rome who specialized in historical monuments, because, of course, to get building permits for a building like that, if you want to strip it out inside and, and rebuild it, can be a nightmare. So um, I spent a lot of money getting uh, somebody who could actually speed that up. And uh, uh, we started the process in September and now we've gotten all the permits. Uh, so that was pretty amazing seeing the famous Italian bureaucracy. It also helps that the first person I went to see in the village was the mayor. And I told him I was going to you know, boost uh, high in tourism in his village. And even though he's a communist, he understood the value of that. Uh, and so, uh, a lot of how uh, Tuscany is the most communist. It is the most anarchist place right? in, in Italy. But, <laughs> anyways, they're very pragmatic, and uh, you know, uh, they like the fact that it's a solo entrepreneur uh, who has put his guts on the table to make this project happen. You know, I think probably if it had been a big conglomerate, uh, I wouldn't have had the same kind of goodwill from uh, from the local authorities. Mm -hmm. And in terms of economics, can you give us the and <laughs> 
we understand you are new to the industry, like I'm new to the yeah. industry. I share it. I have a tiny, tiny mm -hmm. in comparison, one tenth of yours. But um, yes, but w the economics, how do you think about the economics at the moment before you, you are open? And then how worried are you about risk? Because COVID was a big event. So how worried are you about this happening again? You know, I, I live with risk. And, you know, it's, it's like one thing is like you evaluate the risk. You say, okay, fine. I'm willing to take the risk. And then you put it in a little box somewhere. Uh, and then basically there's uh, two kinds of economics. There's the economics of the real estate developer where you say, okay, let's, I, I, I buy the asset, I develop it. Uh, uh, and then I try to uh, develop a yield uh, through like um, great operations and I sell that yield to an institutional investor, right? So, uh, and right now tourism is booming. In Italy, uh, average daily rates per rooms are increasing 20% per year. And I mean, if uh, I remember uh, Rahima in our WhatsApp, who's like, what's happened to hotel prices? Uh, yeah. uh, and so, you know, hotel prices are going through the roof, especially in desirable places like Tuscany, the Amalfi Coast, Paris, Florence, et cetera. So, I mean, right now, from a PL point of view, uh, I think it looks pretty good. I don't know if it will continue, but I think, I mean, uh, disposal of income and, and, and despite inflation, you know, people are making more and more money and uh, people want to travel. Uh, Tuscany is uh, on, uh, you know, top 10 list of the places people want to go to. Uh, when they go to Tuscany, they think they're going to rolling hills and countryside, and suddenly I'm going to make them discover that there's also a beautiful seaside. Uh, and if they stay in my hotel, it's perfect place to go and discover Florence, which is an hour away, Pisa, San Gimignano, Volterra, great wine region like Bulgari, uh, just next door, etc. And uh, they don't need to have to endure the sweltering heat of Tuscany in the summer. So I think it's going to work well. And, and all the numbers and, and the benchmarks I can do on, on comparable operations, uh, I mean, if you, if you see average daily rates of luxury hotels on the Italian Riviera, uh, it's, uh, you know, uh, if you're a customer, you're like, damn, I, I can't afford this. But uh, uh, if you're an operator, it's like, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. So I think I, I'll be able to to honor the, the yield that's in my business plan and probably some more. Um, and then when I look at, at uh, prices, I mean, uh, from a real estate point of view, uh, hospitality or what they call managed real estate, so everything from student housing to hotels, uh, is the most resilient asset class in real estate because it follows inflation. You know, if you, if you have a fixed lease of an office building in the outskirts of Paris, it's pretty difficult because you know uh, people don't want to go to the office in a dire suburb anymore. So there is a downward pressure on the, on the rent. Or if you're in high street retail, it's it's complicated as well post COVID. However, uh, with people's appetite for travel uh, and the fact that they, they agree, I mean, people don't mind price hikes in in hotel rooms. It's 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 a uh, it's an asset class that follows inflation. So from that point of view, it's it's pretty resilient. And um, uh, and the market for seaside first row luxury hotels in Italy doesn't exist. So if you have one for sale, you're pretty much the market maker. And uh, occupancy seasonality there. Of course, that's something we'll have to deal with. I mean, uh, you know, uh, 
for four months, it's not a problem to, 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 to fill up a hotel. And then the rest of the time, I mean, many of these hotels only stay open six months a year, but then you get, uh, you don't get very good staff because um, seasonal staff, they, um, so if you, if you want to create a, a great corporate culture and, and retain uh, the best people, it's, it's, it's better to stay open uh, all year. And so to compensate for the seasonality of a seaside hotel, we're going to be very strong on wine. So um, I'm uh, hiring not a sommelier, but what I call a wine concierge, because there's some of Italy's best vineyards are literally 20 minutes away from the hotel. So the idea is that we want to appeal to, to wine enthusiasts and they come all the all year long. Um, uh, and then you have to create programs like truffle hunting in October and November, uh, yoga retreats. Um, and also, you know, we're going to be very sustainable. We're going to be zero impact. I'm, I'm, I'm buying a hectare of land to put uh, solar panels, etc. So the fact that we're zero impact and, and very keen on, on being exemplary from an ESG point of view, I think uh, we'll be able to appeal to corporates who want to do offsites at least yeah. during the week. Yeah, um, uh, the proximity to Pisa Airport, the fact that you can come by train—it's uh, you know—I I think those are, are great ways to fill up the hotel off season. And then uh, we have an amazing spa that we're developing uh, uh, a sustainable spa. We're going to have a great uh, gym that overlooks the ocean uh, and stuff. So I think we can do health programs as well off season. So you can come and. Uh, and for two weeks, learn how to eat better and then uh, do a cleanse and, and, and do yoga in the morning and do hikes in the mountains and then stuff like that. So I mean, the possibilities are endless for how you can be creative about filling up a hotel the rest of the year. And if you have a great restaurant, people will come also for that. Mm-hmm. So in terms of numbers, because you know, I'm a numbers person, can you, and if it's a secret, it's a secret, that ballpark, what's the total investment size? So the total investment, I think, will end up at – so right now I'm, I'm buying actually a building next door. So if uh, it hasn't been done yet, but if I include the investment with the building next door, we probably land at 35 million euros for 72 rooms. Yeah, all right. And a 150-cover restaurant, a spa, etc. So – uh, from a real estate point of view, that is very reasonable. Mm. And in terms of yield, in what range are you looking? So basically, I mean, I think that if I have 70 rooms, maybe, you know, in my wildest dreams, I do 10 million euros a year in sales. I probably do eight or nine uh, with a 35% EBITDA. So, you know, uh Say it's a thirty-five million investment with a eight to ten percent yield, something okay. like that. All right. And in terms of not a number, but I was interviewing a friend for a for a podcast here in Bulgaria who who's been running uh, properties for the Sheraton Group for the last thirty years. And basically, at some point, she told me in the future there would be two types of hotels: hotels with people and hotels without people, staff-wise, she was talking about. Uh, so, <laughs> so first there, what do you think, in your view, makes a five-star property a five-star property or however many stars? I mean, what's the, what defines I, uh, a great property so in Europe? I think, you know, uh, a lot of people talk about 
modern luxury you know what's uh, how, how do you how do you uh, appeal to the modern high net worth individual etc et you know and uh, it's one star to five star i don't know if if you look at burning man it's a very expensive experience and people stay in rvs and accept dust and dirty toilets uh, and they probably spent ten thousand dollars to spend a week you know and then so you know uh, people go to burning man not for the comfort but for the experience uh you know so we're probably not going to be in that end of the experience uh, spectrum uh, uh but you know uh, i think uh you know and people are willing to spend fortunes to go look at penguins in the antarctic or uh, stay in tents to look at lions or uh, uh go go and do amazing stuff you know and so you know i think instagram has changed a lot you know people love to boast about all the amazing places they've been and all the cool places they've been and uh, you know, uh, restaurants uh, take advantage of that, and and then you see how you know influencers are important in, in in creating hospitality destinations. So I think um, yes, the amenities, of course, you need to have a good bed, and, and it needs to be great design, etc. But it's very difficult to compete on that because everybody knows how to buy a good bed and hire a good interior designer. Um, they might not have the taste to 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 get. To get it right in terms of interior design, and then you de- when you travel, uh, you definitely uh, see a lot of mistakes in terms of taste and, and interiors, and and people are, you know, uh, a lot of people uh, don't have what it takes to, to make a beautiful place. But still, you know, uh, so it's it's not that complicated. Uh, and you see, me there's a proliferation of luxury hotels. Just open magazines like Monocle, how to spend it, and, and uh, there's ten amazing places that open every week. It's very difficult to compete on that, but you need it if you if you want to to reach uh, people who can spend a thousand euros per night on a room. Um, I think exceptional service, and that is difficult to achieve. Uh, you can script it. You can say you know uh, you can tell people to, to to hold the door for you when you walk in, and uh, you know you can have cleanliness standards, etc. I think it goes way beyond that. I think it's uh, it's about making people feel welcomed i don't like to say making people feel at home because you don't go to a luxury hotel to feel at home you go for something exceptional but you want to feel exceptional you want to feel like you've been expected to that place for the for all of your life and when you leave you can't wait to come back yeah uh, and if you look at uh, you know, one of my benchmarks is a hotel called il pelicano which is close to rome they have 70% repeat rate on their clients. Yeah. So when you can achieve that, that I think is true luxury. Uh, that, that you can give people such an experience that they feel amazing, that everything around them makes them feel good, uh, uh, makes them feel exceptional, uh, so much so that they love to talk about it. And, and, and word of mouth is, is the best uh, you can have. So, yeah, yeah, you need, you need the spa. You need... Uh, you need the instant hot water coming out of the shower. You need uh, some kind of room service. You need a turn down service. Uh, you need all that, but that's easy to execute. Uh, to find uh, the proper staff to actually feel like that they're part of something that you know is 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 bigger than themselves. That they they have a passion for service. They have a passion for their clients. That you know uh, they're part of something that that's truly amazing. Uh, when you have staff that feels that and and transmit that to the clients, and I think you have a winning proposition in terms of luxury. 
So how are you solving for this? Have you started hiring already? Of course, yeah. yeah. I, 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 uh, as important as it was to find the right property to open my first hotel, I probably interviewed 20 candidates for GM. Uh, and I hired an amazing general manager uh, who did not go to Hospitality Academy, who was a self-made man who started as a butler on the Orient Express and worked his way up through the Belmont Group and and then launched two hotels without having formal experience. And I, I like the fact that he had a self-made can-do attitude, but very keen on humane management, happiness of staff, uh, you know, all the modern management methods that you can read about. Uh, is very keen on that, very technologically savvy. And and uh, and the staff we have now, I mean, they all love working with him. And I just went to Venice for the Architecture Biennale, where he's from, and he worked in several hotels. He recommended, oh, go there. My friend is managing that restaurant. And I, I did the due diligence I should probably have done before hiring him, but everybody was like, wow, he's such an amazing guy. I really enjoyed working for him, et cetera. Can I come work at your hotel? I, not for him, but with him. Uh, sorry. But the, yeah, so, you know, if if you can hire superstars, you know, I mean, it's uh, the idea is that's what we learned at Inside. You need to hire people who are smarter than you and better than you, right? Right, 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 right. Good, great. So we are waiting basically for, I, I already told you, what is it this year? It's the 20th reunion and next year the 21st, you know, like off season. <laughs> Please get ready for the wild bunch. So switching gears entirely, um, giving back, you know, I've been um, fundraising for the class and we've had a conversation with you. I know your view, but are there causes in general uh, that excite you more than others as areas to give back. And of course, giving back can be in all sorts of forms, time and uh, not just money, uh, right? No, so, yeah, I mean, uh, I've been very lucky to, uh, when, when I was 17, I got a scholarship to something called United World College, which is basically an international uh, association. Of, or it's a it's movement of uh, high schools, boarding schools, where everybody... Uh, uh, get scholarships so nobody pays their way to it. It's changed a little bit since then. But, and I found that, you know, uh, education is probably the best way to help the world become a more civilized place and to, to lift people from poverty. So, you know, education is something I feel strongly about. So I give to UWC, I don't give to INSET, but uh, because UWC needs my money more than than INSET does. But education is definitely something I, I feel very strongly about. And, even more now that I have kids, it's it's really something I spend a lot of time thinking about and and reading up on. So it's it's something I feel strongly about, and then you know whatever I can, and it's probably also why I taught. I mean, I I didn't he didn't teach for for money. I I I I taught because I I love the impact you can have uh, as a professor, and I, I I love being able to to, to do that to do that. Uh, and another one I feel very strongly about is is. Uh, leaving uh, the world uh, as a cleaner place to our kids than the one we inherited from our parents. So that's why I'm very keen on sustainability at, at my hotel. And, uh, you know, uh, living in a big polluted city, uh, I've become asthmatic. Uh, my youngest son is asthmatic. Uh, it's horrible. And the fact that, you know, uh, we can't live our lives without having to think about it, that we need to buy bottled water because we can't have clean water coming out of a faucet or, you know, uh, uh, CO2 emissions, etc. It's something that scares me, you know. Uh, uh, you see natural disasters, etc. So whenever I can, I, I, try, I try to be useful in that, uh, in that sense. All right. 
Good. So last bit, last part is the quick round of questions back and forth. So I'll start and you just shoot back. Proudest achievement? Having a family. Success for you is? Actually, uh, it's, it's a very difficult question. A lot of books have been read about it, uh, written about it. But I'll tell you one story. Yesterday, uh, I went to the premiere of a French documentary about an amazing guy called Olivier Gouin that I, I met, uh, who's a friend, uh, who's an entrepreneur, very successful entrepreneur. Uh, and three years ago, he was diagnosed with uh, ALS. So uh, he knew he only had a few years to live. And instead of being a sad person, he decided he's going to live life to the full until he dies. And he totally accepted the fact that death was natural, fully got his family to accept it, uh, his wife, his sons, totally managed to live through that philosophy. His company, uh, his team, you know, totally, he felt he could be useful to, uh, to his company, so goes to work every day, still there, manages to, to, to motivate his teams uh, uh, around Europe uh, with his strength and the courage to live. Uh, and, you know, uh, and just like he said, like, well, you know, uh, like everybody, I, I watched Dead Poets Society and, and heard about Carpe Diem, but, you know, it took on a new meaning for me. And, and I was like, wow, to me, that's success. Knowing you're dying in a couple of months or in a couple of years and being able to live like that, that's success to me. So, you know, with the love of his, uh, his family, his friends, uh, and everybody who was in the cinema yesterday, standing ovation, of course, but the documentary about him was, was very, very strong. And then I was like, right, you know, successful is, is you know, there's some material success, of course, but, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the yield curve uh, on material happiness uh, flattens very quickly. Uh, but, but if you can live your life like that, then you're successful, I think. Happiness is? Well, it's a, success, it's a continuation of that. I think, yeah. I think even more than, than that is being able to have an impact. I think that, you know, the reason why I love being an entrepreneur is, is, is being able to, you know, I mean, even from the days when I did my parties, you know, people come, I mean, I stopped doing nightlife over 10 years ago. People still come back to me like, wow, that was amazing. I met my wife at your parties. Uh, uh, we had such a good time. It was great. Uh, or, or team members who've worked with you who, who've gone on to have amazing careers uh, and do great stuff. And come like, yeah, you inspired me to do this and to do that and to manage it that way. And, uh, or students who were like, wow, thanks to your classes, I, I took the courage to to start my own business, etc. And, and I, I think you know, that's something I derive a lot of a lot of happiness from. And of course, you know, uh, seeing my kids grow and being able to 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 impact them and, and the way they're going to impact the world, I think is also something that I derive a lot of happiness from. Biggest regret? Not having children earlier. Okay. What keeps you awake at night or you sleep well? Oh, I sleep well. I tend I tend to sleep pretty well. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, a lot of things I worry about, as I as any conscientious human being should. But uh, no, I tend to sleep well. As I told you, I like to put problems in a box and, and open them when I have to. Wish you had known, or that someone had told you earlier uh, that you can be good at everything, and that you should keep a focus on what you're good at. Hmm. If you had to do it all over again, what would you change? 
Oh, not much. Maybe I would have uh, gone uh, a little bit more of an international experience. I've been stuck in Paris for a long time. I've never really. Well, there you go. Put... Now it's Italy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Retirement ever? Never? If you enjoy what you're doing, you don't need to retire. Uh, yeah, you can turn down the volume a little bit, but uh, you know, I enjoy creating stuff. No, so right now I'm, I, I'm, I have a family to raise, so it needs to be for profit. Uh, maybe one day I'll, I create stuff with, with less of a less of an upside in, in mind. But uh, no, no, I, I I can't sit still, and I, I need to have people around me. I need to I need to create stuff. So no, I, I don't think I'm ready to retire. If you had to pick one book, everyone should read. Difficult. Uh, one book that I think made a profound impact on me uh, was an Italian writer called Dino Buzzati, who wrote uh, The Desert of the Tartars, which is basically about life choices and how, how, how to grow as a human being. Okay. Most admired public person? Oh, plenty. Uh, it's cliche, but... Uh, I like the resilience of a guy like Nelson Mandela. Uh, Most despised public person? Uh, right now, probably Vladimir Putin. Okay. But, uh, and the last one is, are you coming to reunion? Of course. It's, of course. it's, pre it's pretty close from where I live. So I, I should be... actually catch up with you on the party side of things. Oh, I'd be happy to help. Happy to help. Yeah. Cool. Excellent. Well, Now I can say this was a conversation with Rasmus Michao. I keep it quiet until the end. People scratch their heads. Serial entrepreneur, most recently founder and president of Octopus Hospitality Partners. Interesting name. Thank you very much for your time, Rasmus, and see you. Thanks a lot, Milena, for being interested in what I do. <laughs> very interested and very interested to come visit next year. Yeah, okay. I hope so. I hope you'll all Tuscany. come. Yep, we all come. Thank you, Rasmus. You have cool. a good day. You too. Take it care, Milena, and see you at the reunion. You were listening to the Republic of INSEAD 20 Years Later O3D Podcast Edition. It is my hope to remind everyone what an interesting and, dare I say, colorful bunch of people we are and how much we can contribute to each other, be it through ideas, knowledge or mere inspiration. The podcast is inspired by the original Republic of INSEAD yearbook produced on paper 20 years ago by Oliver Bradley and team. Thank you, Oli and team, for this contribution to our class's memory and for letting me continue in the tradition, title and inspiration included. Creator and author of the Republic of INSEAD 20 Years Later O3D podcast edition am I, Milena Ivanova. Original music by Peter Dundakov with help from Dare Films Productions. Stay tuned for more and remember to book your tickets for the 20-year reunion in Fontainebleau, October 6th, 8th, 2023. Thank you for listening.